Hello, I'm Marcus Morquet, and you're listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews, a series of recordings from my 2018 adventure traveling across the USA researching makerspaces and digital technology in schools. Yeah, so, um, so first of all, design thinking is user-centered design, right? often taking advantage of the empathy piece. Yes. Um, and we, what we try to do here at Nueva is that we, we don't want to build things in a vacuum. We don't want to just build something because. As much as possible, we want to be building something with a purpose and ideally for a user that is someone other than yourself. Because um, as we you know, go into the future, we as teachers can, can make a lot of guesses of what we think is going to be useful or what skills we think are going to be needed in 30 years. Uh, the one thing that I could probably stake a claim on is that there are still going to be complex problems that need solving um, that are going to involve people other than ourselves. Uh, so we want students to have a lot of practice in that. Um, and and the, the way that kind of uh, comes out at different levels, and it, we, we change it based on how it's developmentally appropriate, for a fifth grader, that might be dev- designing a perfect treehouse for your first grade partner, which, without fail, your first grade partner on your first feedback round will come back and say, that's not at all what I asked for, <laughs> um, which is always um, you know, kind of a wake-up call for a lot of kids, and that's when they really start to think about you know, their needs as being separate from someone else's um, and being really intentional about the choices they make. And then when we get up to, to someone like a ninth grader in our design thinking program, that's really where we're able to point at a population of people and they're able to go, go through, observe people's behavior, interview people, do some research, identify problems on their own, then brainstorm potential solutions and not lock themselves in a garage to figure out that solution. But then they go back with their brainstorm to the user and they say, hey, these are some ideas I came up with. What do you think about this? Have these been tried already? What's your perspective? Right? And then they might finalize an idea they like, and then they'll go to prototype it. And once they finish their prototype, do they go into CAD and start engineering? No. They go back to their user and say, hey, this is kind of how it turned out. Is this what, like, do you, you want to try this? Maybe we'll make believe a little bit. And you can pretend it like is a working item and you can try it out. But what feedback do you have? Oh, okay. That's not at all what you want. Let me go back to the drawing board. Not because I love this idea and therefore it's the right one, but because I care about what you want and how well this needs, need, how well this meets the um, need we identified. Um, and so that's not something someone picks up in a day or a year, sometimes even two years. And so that's why every grade, starting in fourth grade, going through ninth grade, they spend an entire semester on a unique design engineering um, problem where they go through the entire design thinking cycle so that they get accustomed to getting into that, oh, no, I'm thinking about myself again. How do I think about someone else? They get practice brainstorming. They get practice with all those different stages um, so that when they get out into the world and we're not there anymore, they can actually try to solve some complex problems. The idea behind Quest and Recital is essentially to have students work on a uh, project their choice that's outside of class. So this is not an essay that they're writing for their English class, nor is this a a math problem set. This is rather something that they want to do that's independent of what their parents want them to do, what their teacher wants them to do. It's an opportunity for students to spend between 40 to 60 hours over the course of a school uh, year to build and create something, some act of self-expression, something they want to learn or are curious about. 
and it can be really anything that they want. And so I mentioned the student who built the jetpack, but we've had students who've learned how to cook. We've had students who learn how to start their own business, students who learn how to program in a programming language, students who learn a different foreign language, students who wrote poetry. I had a ninth oh, wow. grade student write a book, her own fantasy novel. And at the end of the year, students get to present that work to the public in a big expo that we hold in our gym and in all throughout our school that people are invited to come attend and hear uh, every single, all the hundreds of projects that students have worked on. So that's quite separate to the normal curriculum requirements. Yeah, it's that's a special right. thing they do on the side. Yeah. That's right. It is a special thing that they do outside of class. However, it is also a graduation requirement. So we oh. ask students every single year, starting from the eighth grade, if you happen to go to the eighth grade uh, or eighth grade here at Noiva, to work on their own kind of side independent project uh, every single year. Um, and and that's uh, more than just like a, this would be nice to do. This is a we want you to do this because it's an opportunity for you to learn skills and reach out to mentors and. and and practice really critical uh, techniques around like time management or creative self-expression. Perhaps we'd go back to our earliest conversation about safety in the workshop and the philosophy which you've actually used with the kids in how they actually approach the equipment from, I guess, the junior grades all the way through. Perhaps you could just share, want to share that again with yeah, us? Yeah, so I can start with describing what a lot of people think about when they think about a, a shop safety test. And that is, you know, in preparation for us all to be making the same birdhouse, we would all complete our 20-point, you know, standardized test about which direction not to point a drill in and things like that, and that we expect that when we actually use the tool six weeks later that a student would have some contextual knowledge of what not to do. That is not what we do here. We actually don't have any prerequisite safety tests to be in the shop. What we do have is teachers that know students and when they see a, um, a tool that it makes sense for a student to be using, we spend a few minutes one-on-one -on -one with a student in the context of their need and their project to go through and say, great, this is a pull saw. And for a pull saw, this is how we use it. And we might kind of show them and then let them try it, give them some feedback, and say some things to watch out for are these three things. Now go ahead, let's try it. And then we're there to let them try and to, to kind of be on call and present at all times to make sure they're staying safe. But the idea is that we want them to come in and get used to the kind of easy acquisition of new skills as opposed to them walking into a shop and us putting up a wall that says, no entry unless safety test is taken. Only Mondays at 5 p.m. can you take the safety test. Like that's the, that's the like simplest way to scare off kids. And there was a 12th grade student last year who was very motivated and, and very adept with the tools as well. And he figured out how to prototype, develop, and create his own fully functioning jetpack which uh, blew my mind <laughs> when I saw. That is unbelievable. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's living the dream. That's almost the eternal wish of every young person to have oh, yeah. a, a jetpack. Yeah, yeah that, I, I couldn't actually, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it until he showed me a video of him in a park where he had a parachute on. He flipped on his jetpack and the parachute kind of lifts him into the air and he just zooms around there, maybe 20, 30 feet above the grass uh, for, for quite a while. I, I, I think that was one of the most um, impressive things I've ever seen in my entire life, not just developed by students, but anywhere. Yeah, there, there, there's a few different things that I think were, were interesting. One was, um, from an authenticity standpoint, when given the open directive of find, finding some social uh, need, some students in 10th grade, uh, on their own, um, in their own time, uh, found that drug use in homeless women was uh, a problem. Right. And instead of generalizing and making assumptions, they actually found homeless women to interview and kind of 
we all had a paradigm shift because they realized that a lot of homeless women were using drugs to stay up at night in fear of sexual assault. And so they said, wow, so really the need here isn't stop drug use, it's stop sexual assault. And so through a, um, a number of, concert, um, of conversations, a, a brainstorming process, and a number of prototypes, they actually came up with a garment that's a little bit like a sleeping bag that women can sleep in that gives them a little bit of added protection and security at night so that um, they're um, less likely to need to take drugs to stay awake. Um, and so that was an interesting process, which, you know, the outcome, they're actually going for funding now, so maybe that'll become something, maybe it won't. Um, but the fact that they were willing to engage in those conversations, which are deep on so many different levels, um, shows us that I think our work is working. Um, in, in a completely different kind of world, um, we have students that uh, are doing something that might not be as heavy on the, the need-finding side, uh, we have a student, for example, that has been um, working on a go-kart for um, years now and started um, really kind of struggling, didn't have the engineering skills yet, wasn't super open to feedback yet. Um, and over the years, um, based on us really talking about like, okay, how do we iterate that? How do we get feedback on your design, right? Didn't listen for a while, but eventually got to a point where he is now, um, years later, has a, um, a steel fabricated, precision made, from scratch go-kart that he can drive around God. that is um, CNC machining, yeah. um, precision fabrication, precision TIG welding, custom brake systems, like everything you can imagine. Mm. Um, and, and this was a student that over time is now someone that I have um, full faith in to be as safe as possible, that I have full faith in, will ask for help when he needs it. Um, and all um, because we gave him this opportunity to go through this process over again and over again and over again where we were influencing and giving feedback but not directing. Um, and just over time, it wasn't, he didn't become better at that because we said to. He became better at that because he found out it works better. Um, and that's what matters in the end. Uh, First Robotics is a nationwide United States competition. They hold tournaments all over the country, and our school is very, very active in this, these competitions. About 15 to 20% of the student body is actually part of the Robotics Club, and so after school, they come and they build things, they assemble things. And, uh, the club has, I don't know, maybe 90, 70 to 90 members, and uh, it's broken up into a few different divisions, and what they do is they end up building these robots, not, not robots that you know, look like humans, but rather robots that are built to perform very specific functions for the tournament competition. An example would be in some tournaments, you have to build a robot that can sort of drive through the, uh, and drive on and off of a ramp, or pick up um, balls, or pick up plastic boxes, and toss them through other objectives, and you get points, and you're scored appropriately, depending on how well your robot does, in addition to against all the other robots that other high school students have built. Um, and our school has uh, been around for, um, our, our robotics team has been around for about four and a half years now, and for a school that's a four and a half years old, we've been able to do really well at a lot of the competitions nearby. When you were finalists last year, is that right? We won a uh, actually a prize given by the robotics competition. It's called uh, the Woody Flowers Award, and that's given to a coach of a robotics team that has made an exceptional difference in the lives of its students. And uh, we actually had the, we are, I believe, in the history of that award, the, the youngest winner, not in terms of the school, but in terms of the coach 
coach uh, of the robotics team. Her name is Michelle, and she's quite young, but she's been very dedicated to the team. And she won that award last year, and, and the entire team was ecstatic for her uh, because it's a really, really quite an honor in the community to be able to get that award. That is amazing. Well, one of the things you mentioned about the uh, the sourcing of products and mm-hmm. uh, sponsorship for the project. So these things, the kids have actually got to use their own money or manage to get sponsors from outside to help build their projects. That's right. How does that work? Could you perhaps go through that yeah. process? So in addition to students building their own um, robots, you know, it, it takes quite a bit of money to get all the supplies and all the equipment necessary. And one of the things we ask students to learn how to do sort of in this club is they have to learn how to find sponsors or raise money. That's a critical life skill, actually, to mm-hmm. be able to ask for money and be able to know how to, how to get it. And so they will go out to the local community, find the technology companies or other companies in the area. They'll cold call them, meet with the uh, representatives, email them, and ask for equipment or ask for funding. And oftentimes these companies have budgets dedicated to educational purposes or community outreach purposes that they'll then allocate some to our school if, if we're successful in being able to get that. So students get the money, they, they have to raise it themselves, and they learn this incredible key skill of how to fundraise and how to finance a team and finance a project. And so students have worked on things for uh, animal shelters. They've developed sort of their own um, animal shelter equipment and prototype that in the iLab. Students have developed um, equipment for the blind. They've developed equipment for um, health and safety on college campuses. Um, and they prototype it, they get feedback. And actually, this coming Thursday, one of our teachers who teaches this course on kind of design thinking and design engineering, she's bringing a number of her students down to Stanford's uh, design school, D school, where they are pitching in front of a panel of judges who are investors, parents, wow. uh, engineers to get formal feedback from professionals and then the audience of the public. Uh, and so these students, we, we were actually just watching some students earlier, I was, earlier this morning, I was watching some students pitch, practice pitching to the teacher, to um, the design teacher, and getting feedback from her on how they can refine the presentation a little bit better for later this Thursday. How did they go? Well, uh, I think that a lot of the students have very, very impressive projects, um, and they are so much more advanced in terms of public speaking than uh, where I was when I was a 15-year-old teenager, and I am just, uh, sometimes I'm I'm a teacher here, but sometimes I wish I could have been a student here. Thank you for listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews. You can find the complete series at radiocarum.org.